la la. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. to action action um john is off but we got a, a special fill in this week we got ty singh oh thanks for having me on guys uh yeah no i'm ty singh i'm a film writer producer from the uk uh i wrote the books born to be bad and the just released born to be bad part two where i interviewed actors who'd played villains in your favorite action films and I was also one of the co-writers and producers for the documentary In Search of the Last Action Heroes, which explored why there was such a girth and you know explosion of action films during the 1980s and how the action film evolved from the 70s into the 80s and how it's evolved into what it is today. Yeah, I, I was actually re-watching it last night and it just, it got me so excited to watch. I want to watch those <laughs> movies and like watch... I have this thing where every now and then I go on like uh, a kung fu kick. Mm. So, you know, seeing like Cynthia Rothrock on there, it's like I want to get back into watching those kung fu movies. Um, yeah, so. I mean, I had the exact same thing, James. I was also uh, rewatching it uh, to get ready for the interview. And like, yeah, you watch some of those scenes, you see some of those Jackie Chan movies and stuff, and you just, you know, the blood gets going and you. <laughs> You yeah. just want to watch a bunch of those. So. I do that every now and then. I just go on a, a crazy um, Hong Kong Legends or Cine Asia DVD buying spree to plug in the gaps in my collection. And with uh, the recent death of Sonny Chiba, I, I just oh, splashed yeah. out on, what, The Legend of the Eight Samurai. And then while I was Ooh. just on, I was just, well, so by The Magnificent Butcher from Sammo Hung. Bodyguards and Assassins with Donnie Yen that I don't think I'd ever seen. So, yeah, I, I'm like you. I'll easily watch something and just suddenly go, right, I need to go buy, down a rabbit hole. Go down a rabbit hole, exactly that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was checking out the Born to be Bad. I, I'm definitely going to have to order uh, both these. So is the second one out already? The second or? one is now out. Um, you guys are based okay. in the States, so it's an American publisher called Bear Manor Media, so you can buy it off their websites. Or, of course, order it through your local bookshop if you would want. Or you can give money to that you know, massive conglomerate that refuses to pay taxes. Whatever is easiest for you guys. Uh, I'm not one to judge. So, yeah. Well, to be fair, we're Canadian, so we're even better. Oh, than, uh... then even better. Yeah, then support your local bookstore. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Yeah, I'll have to pick the pick both those up. The first one, you have an introduction with Stephen E. D'Souza. Mm. Oh, nice. I mean, I don't know. Like, he, he's definitely a highlight on our podcast. We yeah, talk he, about him he multiple times. He comes up times. a lot, of course, on our show. I mean, um, 
Yeah, he's a delight. I don't know if you've ever spoken to him, but he is not short of an anecdote or two. And um, <laughs> I reached out to him because I run a genre film club here in Bristol in the UK called the Bad Film Club, the Bristol Bad Film Club. And we did a screening of Street Fighter. And I, I brazenly just emailed him kind of going, hi, I'm doing this charity screening of Street Fighter. I want to, you know, do an intro. Would you be able to answer these questions? And I just sent him like 10 questions. And he sent back, like, just a video clip of him in his office, just answering my questions, going into so much detail. And I was like, this guy's amazing. So, uh, yeah, when when I'd written the book and I was like, who's written some of the best movie villains that I can think of? And it's like, oh, the writer of Die Hard, Commando, The Running Man. Uh, You know, it's almost just stupidity on my part if I don't ask him to write a foreword. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a question I was going to ask you. And once we got into things, was um, you know some of your your own favorite screenwriters, or or screenwriters that might have inspired you? Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing that we are all of a similar age. Um, I'm 38 this month, um, so I grew up watching 80s action films. So it was all you know your Stephen E. D'Souza's, your Shane Blacks, um, yeah. uh, your Sheldon. Uh, Latish, you know, all those kind of, for want of a better word, you know, B-movie action films that often came with that A-movie budget. Um, But it wasn't just action films, you know, I was obviously watching all the great blockbusters from, you know, Steven Spielberg, I was a big Hong Kong action film fan, and I'm a big sci-fi nerd as well. You know, I, I grew up watching Star Trek, and here in the UK, also all the Jerry Anderson shows like Thunderbirds and everything, so... Yeah, it, it's it's like a perfect storm of action Hong Kong movies and just general genre TV and movies. No, is Thunderbirds is that the marionette, the one with the marionettes? It is. The, so Jerry Anderson yeah. is the the guy that you know uh, did all the marionette shows like Thunderbirds, Stingray, Captain Scarlet. That of course um, Trey Park and Max Stone uh, homaged right, yeah. in Team America. And yeah. I think Guillermo del Toro's a big fan because there's a lot in Pacific Rim of, you know, the whole international rescue Thunderbirds, you know, the yeah, helmet, that, yeah. Yeah, the helmet coming down on um, Gypsy Danger. It's like, you know, just, you know, the, going down the shoot into Thunderbird 2. I think he's, he's uh, been a very vocal fan throughout the years. So, yeah, it's all those kind of shows because in the 90s, all the 60s shows had a big revival in UK totally. TV. So it was all Thunderbirds. Classic Star Trek, Man from Uncle, Mission Impossible, Man Called Flint, all of that was suddenly, you know, shown on British TV uh, in repeats. And I think this kind of stuff is cyclical that now the 90s is big again. So when I was a kid in the 90s, it was all the stuff from the 60s. So, yeah. Yeah, we're seeing all those 90s fashions come back in a weird way. (laughs) Primary colors and bum bags. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. (laughs) I mean, my kids, you know, who are seven and nine talking about they want tie-dye everything oh wow which is weird. i mean it is weird i mean the the distance from now to the 20s is the same from when i was a kid to the 60s and that blows my mind you know the swinging 60s the apollo mm. missions you know peak cold war and it's like that when i was a kid that just seemed like so oh. so far in the past but yeah there you go yeah time <laughs> torments us all it's a it's a weird thing, isn't it? I guess my my big question is is like, um, I guess it's a 
it's a question that I can answer for you, mm. but it's basically like, what what got you into the idea of um, assembling all these interviews, talking about, I mean, the greatest genre, action, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just talking about the 80s and 90s and, like, how how hugely impactful like those films were i mean we even feel it today obviously mm. but like it, you know everyone talks about the like the 80s action film are like the peak and it's like nobody's really like it's different now but like that was like the golden era there were so many new things going on and whatnot i mean what like what got you started on trying to come up with a documentary about it well i mean the documentary that came about i'd just written my first book and then it had come out and then i'd just been fired from a job and i oh. saw that oliver harper the director was undertaking this documentary and i was like i know a bit about action films i've just written a book where i've interviewed a lot of the key bad guys from these action films and I'm of the belief that the bad guy is probably the most important part of any action film so I brazenly emailed them or I DM'd them on Twitter going hi I've written this book are you looking for a researcher I could help out and they were like we've seen your book you seem to know a lot and you've got contacts to all these people do you want to come on as a co-writer producer and I was like Yes. Yes, I would. Uh, hell yeah, let's go. And before I knew it, because I'd interviewed people like Vernon Wells and Bill Duke and Al Leon, they were like, you already kind of have an in with these people. Do you want to go to L.A. for like a couple of weeks and do all the interviews? And again, I was like, oh, wow. yes. Yes, I yes. would. Thank you. <laughs> um, so it was pure luck, timing, so many things that I ended up on a project. But Oliver, whose idea it was... And who was a director, he was very clear on the vision of, I mean, the 80s, even today, we are re trying to replicate the 80s. We are doing legacy sequels, reboots of everything mm. from the 80s, because it was that time when Hollywood was giving major budgets to just unique IPs. You know, Star Wars and Jaws had blown open the blockbuster gates. And you know, studios were just going, yes, greenlit Ghostbusters, you know, go on Die Hard. It's like, this is where all these big franchises came from. And instead of doing the same today, studios are just kind of like, we need to cater to that 30, 40-year-old, he goes to the cinema, uh, let's just do a sequel to everything. And, you know, franchises and IPs are, are the thing, and no one seems willing to take a chance on creating the new Ghostbusters or the new Die Hard. They just want to churn out the sequels for better, for worse. So it's kind of, for action films, it's like Oliver wanted to focus on that. And it was like, what was it about the 80s that led to that? You know, was it the Cold War? And was it this explosion in bodybuilding where men were suddenly like <laughs> fucking jacked up to the nines? Was yeah. it the influence coming from Hong Kong? Was it these kind of budgets for what were essentially b film b movies you know something like terminator 2 becoming the most expensive film of all time off the back of the terminator that is just a b movie really same with like total recall it so there were so many questions and the hardest part of the documentary was trying to answer all of these in like two and a bit hours when we could have easily done a whole documentary on 
the Hong Kong influence on Hollywood or women in action totally. films or black exploitation, you know, the rise of black action stars and why people like Steve James or Carl Weathers never got the the bigger breaks that your Bruce Willis's did. Yeah, there's so many angles we could have taken. So we were trying to do so much with a very limited time. Um, but that's what we were trying to do. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could totally do multiple sequels off of this or multiple other spin-off documentaries. Well, yeah, that's what on, I was going to say, because uh, yeah. In Search of Darkness is a creator VC thing, too, right? And they're already working on, I think, their third uh, It movie, is, yeah. That, they that. they are doing In Search of Darkness 2 and I think 3 and In Search of Tomorrow, which is on 80 sci-fi. I'm not involved yeah. in those, but they, yeah. they are, I think, from In Search of the Last Action Heroes, they've realized that there are certain fans will happily sit down and watch like a four-hour documentary <laughs> that kind of goes yeah, through yeah. everything. And I think what me and Oliver were like, we're kind of like, we just need to tell like one story, you know, like a, an opening act, you know, more, and closing act rather than a four-hour thing. And there, there are people that love that and everything, and there's totally the audience for that, and I can definitely see the appeal. But I think this was just kind of like a one-off story that we were trying to tell rather than, Let's go through the years of the eighties and focus right, on every single movie or something. Yeah, because yeah, you can't do that if you're trying to tell a, a single story. But then, at the same time, you can make documentaries that do that. Well, do you have? Uh, you know, you were mentioning Stephen E. D'Souza. Do you have like a, a favorite interview or or just somebody who's ended up being the great conversationalist, a great storyteller that you've? There's a very there was a one of the guys I really wanted to talk to was Mario Kazar because obviously Karalco was such a big. Yeah. Factor in the eighties, you know him and Andrew Vaja. Uh, they they financed the Rambo films, and they were the guys that were giving the fucking huge budgets to things like Total Recall and Terminator Two. And then they kind of the studio collapsed with Showgirls and Cutthroat Island. And Mario Casar is like a fascinating figure. So I was like, Look, if we can get one of these guys, that'd be really interesting. So when we got Mario Casar, I was really excited. And then I went round to his house and. He's very friendly. I couldn't say anything nicer about him. He's a wonderful host. He was a great interviewer. Let's say politics-wise, me and him were very polar opposites. And, you know, we were setting up for the interview and he was trying to, like, question me on, like, the UK's NHS and talking about how, like, socialist medicine is always going to be the downfall of civilization or something and i was like right. i can't i can't engage with this right now i've got to do an, i can't get into an argument about politics um yeah. so i felt like he was trying to prod me a little bit and yeah. um and then we just started talking about movies and he was great he had some great anecdotes and everything and then afterwards he gave us a tour of his house and he's got like the stargate armor in cases oh, and he cool. had like the sword that was going to be in the crusades movie that arnie was going to do with paul verhoven that never got made and he's got all the rambo knives in his office and he he's just a great guy and then just you know every now and then he'll he'll just like make some make some reference about how trump is the greatest <laughs> president the world has oh, ever Jesus. seen and you're like <laughs> right all right okay well <laughs> sure why do you have to ruin a good thing <laughs> yeah um so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that was one of the most memorable days for me because, again, it was just someone who was so great, so wonderful. We couldn't, politically, we couldn't be more different. But on the day, we just had a great time. And he, he was a lovely guy, lovely guy. 
I mean, it's funny you say that about like the politics aspect because it's like, yeah, I mean, uh, just movie watching in general. Mm. I mean, you can just, it doesn't matter what your politics are. Like you can enjoy the same movie and uh, yeah, I mean, nowadays it gets a little, you're, you know, I'm on this side, you're on that side. Yeah. And I mean, 80s action movies do have a very conservative bent for the most part. Oh yeah. Oh, hell yeah, they do. <laughs> and, yeah, whether it's Rambo or, you know, Robocop, or, or it's, it's just kind of, you know, you, or, you know, The Running Man. It's, it's great. It's just kind of like the people who kind of see a character like Cobra and kind of go, that's the way the world should be. And you're like... Yeah. <laughs> for I mean, a start... Fun as, it's fun in the movies. It's fun in the movies. <laughs> and personally, I wouldn't trust a man that uses scissors to cut up a pizza. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's just me. But yeah, it, it's... Um, and also being from the UK and Canada, I don't know how you guys look at it, but, you know, we look at American action films through a slightly different lens than maybe American audiences do. Mm-hmm. You kind of look at oh, yeah. something like Rambo or commando through a kind of america here we go again yeah, right so yeah yeah it, it's um the raw raw aspect the raw raw aspect and hey look i'm from a country where you know our super spy can ski off a cliff and open a union jack parachute and everyone will go fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know as long as everyone is aware of their own you know national bubbles yeah. if you will yeah some self-awareness self-awareness that is the most mm-hmm. crucial aspect i think when it comes to action films yeah totally um do you think it's like um you know we talked about how like they're they're always trying to replicate uh you know movies or remake movies or sequels from the 80s or 90s but it's like certain movies that come out now Mm. and i'm only bringing up because we recently did it which is avatar um Avatar is a movie that I feel like if it came out in the early 90s, sometime in the 90s, it probably would have been like a huge... I mean, it is a huge hit. It's I mean, it's, it's the biggest film of all time, but sure. I mean, I disagree. It, but it that's, could do better. It, it, could, it could have better. made more money. Yeah, <laughs> I guess for we me, it's just like... The money-making aspect there. <laughs> I guess for me, it's just like... I don't know how they're going to make four more films. <laughs> That's this, you're, you're this, trying to see the, the, the trajectory of those. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think I think they've shot the live action elements for all of them. And look, I, I'm fascinated to see if it is worth four sequels. Um, mm. I'm excited for Avatar 2 and Avatar 3. And all I will say is this. It is a man that doesn't learn from history that discounts James Cameron. The man has not made a bad film if we're not counting Piranha 2 and each time people are like this is James Cameron's folly this is his flop you know whether it's Titanic with like Paramount selling it to Fox and it becomes the biggest film of all time or Avatar where people are like this is just Fern Gully with Blue Cat and becomes the biggest fool of all time <laughs> I see all these people on Twitter every now and then going Avatar 2 is going to flop man I'm like man you guys just you never learn he is gonna. There is a reason James Cameron is James Cameron, and James Cameron can do whatever the fuck he wants because he's yeah, James yeah. Cameron. He's earned that. He's, he's earned, earned that. that for sure. He is gonna do something to get bums in seats. I don't know what. I don't know what he's gonna do. But there's no way yeah. Avatar Two is gonna flop. And I'm I'm fascinated oh. to see what happens. 
Yeah, I definitely don't think Avatar 2 is going to flop. I mean, I mean, it's not going to make 2.2 billion. Let I'm I'm de I'm interested. I I want to see you know where it's going to go from here. Mm. Definitely, but it actually brings up a another point. Like you're talking about James Cameron gets to do what James Cameron gets to do. Is that kind of like what in the 80s like studios were greenlighting all sorts of stuff, and now it's like okay, whatever this director wants to do, yeah. we're just going to greenlight what this director wants to do and not try some of these other, you know, maybe lesser known people, what they're going to do. They do say so. that the age of the movie star is dead. And I think, you know, apart from maybe your Tom Hanks, your Tom Cruise, your Denzel Washington, everything does tend to be IP focused. But I think there are still quote-unquote auto directors that studios will bankroll whatever they want to do your christopher nolan's your james cameron's maybe ridley scott steven spielberg um and you know maybe guillermo del toro um and then everything else it's kind of like can you base it on anything so it's <laughs> i think i saw ryan reynolds was kind of touting the fact that free guy was like the the first non-sequel remake reboot thing that's done well in this post-pandemic thing and immediately disney like can you do a sequel right, so um yeah of course there's gonna be a sequel yeah i mean i i would i would like to see more studios like swing for the fences that like fox did with avatar and you know warner brothers did with things like inception and tenet but it's it's really weird every time there is kind of like a semi-original idea or ip it doesn't do well um and the, the the past decade is littered with you know big budget ideas that crashed and burned like your jupiter ascendings that i really liked <laughs> your john carter of mars that i really liked but the thing I is that, that one, yeah. everything has ripped from that like avatar like star wars and so it just seemed like derivative of the stuff that it's based on uh that stuff right. has, has ripped it's off based from it. on it yeah, yeah and i went to go see reminiscence at the cinema recently with hugh jackman and rebecca ferguson that's a cool little sci-fi film that's crashed and burned because no one wants yeah. to go see something it's an un unproven uh I don't know. It's not quantified in their mind as to what it is before they go see it. Though. Exactly. This thing? It's it's not a Wolverine movie. It's not a Terminator yeah. movie. It's not. A I mean, I'm I'm really worried for June. I can't wait to see June. I think it's going to be great. And it's not even an unproven quantity. You know, it's a remake or you know another mm -hmm. adap adaptation of Frank Herbert's book. But I'm like, this is. I feel it's asking too much of audiences because they're like, <laughs> they didn't turn out for Blade Runner 2049, which I loved. And like these big yeah. expansive sci-fi films, they're like, whatever. And I'm like, I can't wait to see it. And I'm just like, it's, it's not going to do well and we're not going to get the part two <laughs> and, and I'm already annoyed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it could yeah, do well, it's... but I'm just kind of like, oh, people. I feel like maybe, maybe there's enough media buzz behind dune that it'll will maybe it'll be a hit look but, i'm yeah, hoping the zendaya and the timothy chalamet stands turn out in droves that's what i want yeah. i mean this is why you know someone like denny villeneuve has cast these people because it's like he's probably like you know 30 to 40 year old sci-fi nerds are going to show out and that's going to be 20 million in the bank <laughs> we need your jason momoas and your oscar isaacs yeah. with his you know female attracting beard in this film 
So, yeah, fingers crossed for June. Yeah, like, is it a North American thing? Because I feel like, um, you know, like a movie like uh, The Night Comes for Us, Mm. which I find is like such an amazing action movie. movie. Um, Is it just that, yeah, in North America, we want, you know, Fast and the Furious 12 or whatever. Like, we just want to be fed the same story over and over like it's I don't know like I I feel like I'm in like my infancy when it comes to action movies I, I only know really North American action movies but mm. uh, in doing the podcast we've kind of we've done um, some Hong Kong movies from the 80s and 90s and we're even you know branching out now uh, we just did Deliver Us from Evil which was a, a Korean movie yeah mm-hmm. um and like that's the like that's a it's a refreshing movie and I don't know if it's just that my expectations are different because it's not North American or or what it's like it's very odd and I know because America these days tries to cater to you know the Chinese audiences and at the same time the Chinese audiences or filmmakers could not give a shit about America <laughs> yeah um, and it's really interesting because. I've often wondered, like, your big Chinese stars, your Wu Jings, your, um, or even your big India stars like Shah Rukh Khan, they don't need America. America can fucking do one in their eyes. It's like, I'm the biggest star on the planet, like Shah Rukh Khan or Wu Jing or Jackie Chan. And Jackie Chan did break into the Hollywood market, but I feel that is something that he had been, he had trying to be doing that from the 70s. These days, right. your big Asian actors don't need Hollywood. But Hollywood, if it's going to continue to budget films at $250 million, then they need that Eastern audience. And then, you know, they'll try and coax Donnie Yen and, you know, all these Asian action stars into their films so they can sell it. And it's really interesting to just kind of watch Asian action films like Wolf Warrior 2 or Operation Red Sea be kind of like, we are big Chinese action films. We're going to do whatever the fuck we want. We're going to bring Marvel's second unit over. We're going to get Sam Hargraves to bring his tank over so we can do these insane action films. We're going to have Frank Grillo as our bad guy. And we're going to be as fucking nationalistic as we want because fuck America. They used to do this during the 80s. This is our time. We're going to do it right now. And fuck anyone that has a problem with that. And I admire that. It's like China can do whatever they want. Yeah. We all ate up the 80s American propaganda. We all ate it up, yeah, Yeah. and now China wants to do the same. Hey, it's a movie. As long as you go into everything knowing it's a movie, I've got no problem with it. But the whole thing is, with Hollywood, I think because they're trying to be everything to everyone, that's where the problems are, especially with... I'm trying to think, like, The Meg was the last one where it was kind of like... Yeah, it's a Jason Statham action film with a shark, but it's got to appeal to an Asian audience. We've got Fan Bingbing here, and we're going to sell it in China. And it can't be too sexy for Chinese audiences. So <laughs> Fan Bing violent for American audience exactly. So it's not going to be that violent because we want everyone to go see it because it's hundred million. Uh, we're going to get Jason Statham to take his shirt off, and Fan Bingbing will wiggle her eyebrows, but there's going to be no sex, <laughs> and it's kind of like. <laughs> Yeah, because it's like no violence, no sex. It just seems like a very by clinical, yeah, written by committee. 
And everything that you go to see a massive prehistoric shark film for is not there because it's trying (laughs) to be everything for everyone and therefore failing in all sectors. It should be a trashy good time because it's it's a giant shark after Jason Statham, like on paper. It should be 90 90 minutes long, violent. Jason Statham should call the shark a wanker and kick it in the <laughs> kick it in the face, uh, and you yeah. didn't get any of that. So, yeah. I mean, it's like every Dwayne Johnson movie, right? It it's like not very good, and somehow it's the worldwide audience that makes it three hundred, four hundred million dollars, right? So, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I remember interviewing someone for the documentary and they were like, I wish Dwayne The Rock Johnson would commit to action and do an R-rated action film. And he, yeah. he's done kind of smaller budget things like um, Faster, where he's like a dad yeah. and, his, and you, know, it, you know, it's a small drama and pain and gain and all that stuff. But at the same time, I, I get why you might want The Rock to do that. But why does he have to? The Rock is now like the biggest yeah, he star. Doesn't he doesn't have to. Who, what's he trying to prove to anyone? He's like, he's got the. Well, he's not going to do any more Fast and Furious films. Him and Vin Diesel hate each other. But, um, you know, he's <laughs> done those kind of like big fantasy epics. He's done the smaller, grittier action dramas. He's done like the comedy action things. He's, he's done it all. He doesn't need to do a hard R action film. And at this point, you'd be like, the star of Jungle Cruise and Skyscrapers made like a 20 million violent action film. <laughs> I mean, this is why yeah. you've got people like um, Scott Adkins and you've got people like Michael Jai White who need that little push into someone giving them like a 50 million budget to right, do like yeah. a fucking awesome action film. Dwayne the I Rock. I would love to see Scott Adkins in a, in a bigger movie for well, sure. You know, yeah. he's now in John Wick 4, so mm-hmm. fingers crossed that it launches to bigger things and, you know, John Wick 4 takes advantage of his skill set and, you know, it's Chad Stahelski directing, so of course it will. But, you know, I was hoping after John Wick 3 that Mark Dacascos would have like a career revival and yeah. we'd see him in more stuff. But He he's, was great in that. He was great, but he's gone back to making direct-to-video schlock mm-hmm. and I was like yeah. oh, come on man there must have been like someone going hey that Mike DeCascos is great let's put him in more stuff and he's I feel he slid back down and I don't want that to kind of happen to people like Scott Adkins I mean what is it with Scott Adkins though that he just can't get a break it seems it's just like he has he's got the skills he, he's got, he's got looks, everything he's got like, the I just charm. don't yeah I don't get it like I, I definitely want to see him in more stuff and bigger budget stuff. But Well, I mean, I've interviewed yeah. Scott for the documentary and also for Born to be Bad Part 2, and I've met him a bunch of times. And the way he sees it is the studio system, because he came through as a stuntman, like doubling right. Ryan Reynolds in the Wolverine movie, uh, you know, they studios just see you as a stuntman. And, you know, a stuntman that does action films... And until someone's willing to give you, like, that break, they will just see you as maybe, like, a DTV action star until you do something bigger, but no one's willing to give them that person the break. Yeah, no one wants to go out on the limb and be like, oh, hey, I got, like, let's get this guy and make him into, like, we can get him over. We can make him into a star. But no one wants to take that chance, right? It's like, well, you got to go with the proven, the proven and thing. And very few actors have made... 
the transition from DTV into A-list. A-lists have slid into DTV. That happens all the time. Yes. But, you know, it. you get the odd breakout, but it's very rare. Because, you know, studios just see you as, like, a B-movie actor. It's like, why should they take a risk on you when there's, like, the next... You know, Keanu Reeves around the corner. Yeah, well, that's the thing. But where are we going to get the next Keanu Reeves from? Like, Keanu's great. He's still killing it. At, at, you know, in his fifties. But yeah. once you know, once our Keanu's and our Tom Cruises are gone, like, uh, I mean, we don't have anyone waiting in the wings to be the next. I think that there's always people waiting in the wings. You, you know, whether it's you know Henry Cavill did you know a lot of work for the last Mission Impossible film. Looked really good. He seems to. Yeah be having a ball doing The Witcher and he's talking about doing a new Highlander film um, martial arts wise I think you know there is a constant you know breakthrough stars like Iko Uwais Tony Yard it all depends obviously what the Hollywood system does with them and doesn't waste yes, them yes exactly stuff. again Iko Uwais is a great example of a guy they waste over and over again <gasps> I mean they even wasted him in Stuba uh, and Snake Eyes the new Snake Eyes movie yeah. like what a, what a waste I have yet to see Snake Eyes but there's your next action star right there Andrew Koji who's so good in Warrior and I think David Leach has got him in Bullet Train with Brad Pitt that man is wonderful and it looks like Henry Golding did put in the work for Snake Eyes. It's just the editing, how it's shot, didn't show up. But that man is as charming as fuck. Um, so I think, you know, action stars can kind of come from anywhere. It's just whether they're wasted and used as well as they should be or they're just kind of, you know, cast aside and, you know, you've just got Chris Pratt in there, you know, jibber-jabbing, doing whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, so I guess I would ask, you know, going and you're doing this documentary and you've seen sort of this evolution from mm-hmm. 70s, 80s, 90s action movies to the modern films and we're talking a little bit about the sort of behind the scenes, the, the studio system and everything, but what do you see in terms of just the movies themselves? Like, what do you think is the difference now between the way we're seeing action movies get made versus like the 80s? I think the 80s saw... <clears throat> I, th- I think it all basically comes down to budget because the 80s, you know, and the boom of VHS, you could spend very little money making something like Kickboxer or Bloodsport and have a massive hit. Um, the only ones who are really willing to take a chance on those mid-budget, tiny-budget films are people like Netflix. So you'll get something like The Night Comes For Us and you'll get it on Netflix and it might be a big Netflix hit. But it's not going to have that mainstream crossover effect because it won't be released in cinemas. So it's, it relies totally on word of mouth. What I will say is I know the series has its detractors, but I like that the Fast and Furious films have introduced audiences to people like Joe Taslim and Tony Yar. And I read an article about how the Fast and Furious franchise has done more for diversity in cinema than any other franchise. And I... It's because it's all about family. It's all about family. And I do... I have had these conversations with people where they're kind of like, Fast and Furious films are shit, man. It's not like Commando, you know, that was a real action film. And you're like, like, they are of the same ilk. It's like the same lack of concern for physics and your hero <laughs> suffering any sort of physical damage. It's like 
Fast and Furious is what Commando would be if it was made today. It's like your action hero never feels any pain. He'll walk away from a car crash completely unhurt. Guns never run out of ammo. Physics need not apply. And <laughs> it, it, it's that same level of brainless action. But I do feel that our generation puts a certain cachet or, or looks at films like Kickboxer or Bloodsport with rose-tinted glasses. And like, oh, they don't make films like kickboxer yeah, totally. anymore and i'm like look at the action in the raid films that blows anything in kickbox out of the water sure jean-claude van damme is very charming and do the split action wise action <laughs> has evolved it's better now it, the, the 80s action films are just different and you can like both it's not a pick your side you've just got yeah. to realize action has evolved sometimes for the best Sometimes for the worst in terms of like CGI augmentation or that fast editing style. You've just got to learn sometimes to lock that camera down and let your very mm. talented action stars that you've hired for a reason do their stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what drives me crazy. I mean, we, we're getting really good stuff, like you're saying, in the, in the Raid and, you know, John Wick and these types of movies. But then you watch a movie like Snake Eyes and the, and the cuts are so fast and you're like, I don't know if this works anymore, shooting the action like this, like... We our brains are have evolved to sort of ex, expect a certain style now. We want to see everything. We want to have a geography of what's going on, you know, in front of us. Paul Greengrass it, does have a lot to answer for for that in the Bourne films. <laughs> um, but I mean, people are also quite brutal. I read some scathing reviews of like Mortal Kombat, and when I went to go see it, I was like, it was perfectly fine. They they actually didn't cut as much as I was expecting. They let Hiroyuki Sedano and people like Max Juan do their thing. Ludi Lin looked great. Um, it looked like if um, Louis Tan, that's it. Damn. He looked like he put the work in. He looked great. Um, but yeah, there, there is a there is a certain sort of you should just lock the camera and let people fight for like thirty seconds, uncut. But I thought the action in Mortal Kombat looked pretty good. It was perfectly entertaining. Well, better than a lot of the modern Better than a lot of them, yeah, exactly. They, they clearly realised they did have very talented martial artists on staff and, you know, just let them do their thing. You know, at the time when Greengrass was doing, you know, Born Supremacy or, or whatever one it was, or Ultimatum or whatever it was, uh, you know, that felt like something fresh, I guess, at that point. But then, all of a sudden, that becomes the style, right? And then Oh, it, you know, if it worked for that movie, maybe. But then it's oh, oh, let's do that. You know, Hollywood jumps on it. Let's do that in everything. Uh, I mean, do, Hollywood's copycat, right? Like, yes, that's all they it's do. whatever's the next, whatever hit big, we will do that. Yeah, yeah, and we'll do it to death. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like. <laughs> I was going to ask, do you, you know, you guys, you had to talk about uh, canon films quite a bit mm. in the documentary. Uh, was were you a big canon guy growing up? Um. Yes, but you obviously when you're a kid, you don't know that you are. Mm, so right. I, you don't know what canon is until you're a lot older and you start looking into it because that logo is just part of your childhood. But my my parents owned a shop and a few stores up was uh, a video rental shop. And we used to go there all the time, hire videos, and I was very much judge a film by its cover. And there was no better studio <laughs> at doing a great cover than Canon. And as such, I grew up with films like Richard Chamberlain's King Solomon's Minds, because I was a big yeah. Indiana Jones fan. And that was very similar. And it's only when you're older that you're like, oh, the effects in this are rubbish. There's so <laughs> much rear projection. But when you're watching it as a young kid, you're like, this is 
really good fun. And you're watching stuff like Masters of the Universe and you're like, I'm really enjoying it. So I watched a lot of canon films growing up not noticing the scenes, if you will, or the, the right. shaky scenery or the, you know, the fact that this was clearly, you know, L.A. somewhere. And I, yeah, I have a lot of uh, affection for canon. Um, maybe not the Death Wish films, but, you, you know... <laughs> yeah. All, all yeah, speaking the, of the right-wing, uh, the right-wing movies. Yeah, but, but stuff like American Ninja, where you're like, of course, yeah, the most powerful ninja in the world is some white guy. <laughs> Sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Of all the ninjas that have ever ninjured, the most powerful ninja is Michael Dudikoff. Sure. Why not? Let's go with this. But, but you know, it, it, it's all fun. You know, when you're watching canon films, you're like, oh, God bless you, canon. No one is taking this seriously. And yeah, no, I, I, lo- I love canon movies. Yeah, I think that's true. What you're saying, like, when you're growing up, you don't know the difference between the big budget and the and the canon necessarily. You rent it all, you enjoy yeah. it all, and you, you on, don't necessarily notice the rubber snake in, in King Solomon. No, on on a VHS shelf, everything is equal, and I do love that. And yeah, it, it's it's kind of creeping into Amazon Prime now. When you go to like yeah. action films, it's just like so much canon stuff has been uploaded there, and it's alongside you know, the latest Sherrod Butler film and whatever DTV action film Bruce Willis is sleepwalking through these days. Oh, God. Uh, so, uh, you know, some streamers do have that kind of equal opportunity that VHS shelves did. And I think that's why, you know, these Bruce Willis films keep getting made because lots of people are just, oh, Bruce Willis film. I'll He's watch Bruce that. Willis. You gotta it's watch Bruce him. Willis. When has yeah. that man ever let me down apart from the last decade? So, yeah. I think the closest thing uh, I've gotten for a streaming service that is like going to a video store and just looking at the covers is uh, Tubi. Uh, I don't know if you've ever used Tubi. I'm not. Yeah, not I don't you guys with have it. Tubi over there. No, yeah, it's a free app. It's a free app out here, and it's full of just schlock, great schlock. <laughs> like, it's got know, great, but horror. such awesome cover art. So. I'm I'm strictly picking a movie just based on the cover art. Mm. Um, this is how I end up buying half of my Arrow video Blu-rays <laughs> just on the cover art. Oh, Arrow's Arrow's putting it out. It must be worth. Uh, exactly. If Arrow's <laughs> spent money on it, and they, well, the Zero Boys, I really didn't need to earn this. But yeah. The funny thing is, though, is like so, you know, back when it was the movie store days, it's like okay, if you commit on this is the movie you're going to rent. I mean, that's a commitment. Now it's like, oh, okay, I'm going through the streaming. It bored after oh, 10 minutes, turn it off. Yeah, yeah. oh, I'm going to watch something else. You know, you can easily change it. Um, no, this this is exactly how I've ended up running something like the Bristol Bad Film Club because you're like, yeah, no, let's watch Insemnioid. And then you're like 10 minutes in going, this isn't <laughs> great, but I've rented it, so I'm going to keep watching it. Oh, no, this female <laughs> astronaut's getting raped by an alien in a quarry Probably in Wales. Yeah. <laughs> this is not great, but I'm still going to watch it because I rented it. And yeah, it's, this is what happens. And I think this is why, uh, you know, there is a certain generation that has this appeal for schlock as opposed to this generation of streaming where you're like, oh, I'll just turn it off and watch something else. And they might be missing out on some spectacularly bad films that are yeah. worth watching. <laughs> Definitely. 
<laughs> yeah, Amazon Prime. Yeah, they, I really do have to give it to them. They've they've got a ton of of B camp uh, glory on there, which you can. Something you can tells me because it's Amazon, they've just put it up there though without permission. Something tells me they've not got the rights for half that <laughs> no, stuff. No one's getting paid. <laughs> no one's, one's getting paid. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, when we're looking at. Uh, classic action movies and stuff i was gonna ask do you have a favorite buddy cop movie is there one buddy cop movie that stands out above all the others there is and i mean your shane black buddy cops uh buddy ones are mm. always great you know your lethal weapons your last boy scouts your um kiss kiss bang bang not kiss kiss bang no kiss kiss bang bang but the long kiss good night um one that i always come to and I think it's because it didn't do that well and it's kind of been forgotten but I really like Showdown in Little Tokyo yes and also American Dragons I'm a big fan of the buddies from different worlds that are thrown together so uh, like Rush Hour yeah I mean American Dragons was what Rush Hour was before Rush Hour came out and it's Michael Bean and I think he's teamed up with a Korean action star. I don't, I don't think I've seen that one. We're going to yeah. have to add that to the list. Um, yeah. Or it's, yeah, no, it's American Dragons, because I think American Yakuza is something with Vigo Mortensen. Yeah, American Dragons. And Showdown in Little Tokyo is obviously Brandon Lee. He's fast, he's nimble, he's cool, and he's teamed up with Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, and it's funny. Um, it's going through that weird phase in the late 80s, early 90s, where America became really fascinated with the Yakuza. When you had stuff like Black Rain coming out and uh, Rising Sun and all that stuff. Brandon Lee's amazing. You've kind of got like uh, an Asian lead in there. You've got that weird subtext of where he keeps congratulating Dolph Lundgren on the size of his penis throughout. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, this is clearly like Dolph Lundgren saw how good that Brandon Lee was at martial arts and was like, I need to one up him somehow. Can we write in that I've just got a massive penis? Because when you're watching it, you're like, "This is so weird." Even even for a, a you know late '80s, early '90s action movie, that joke seems sort of out of place in the movie, which is kind of what makes it so funny when you're watching yeah. it. Yeah, and Brandon Lee looks embarrassed that he's saying it. Um, <laughs> but I, I would say that because I was talking to someone about how American studios they, there's a Lethal Weapon TV series that they did and a Rush Hour TV series that I think was cancelled after one season. And, you know, they're always talking about doing another sequel or rebooting it. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. look, if you're going to reboot something like this, reboot something that failed or didn't do well or people don't remember. And you could easily bring back Showdown in Little Tokyo. And apart from the people that remember it, it would would appear like a brand new idea. But everyone knows what Rush Hour and Lethal Weapon is. So I'm like, this is why I'm kind of okay with them rebooting Highlander, because as much as some parts of Highlander are great, there are big parts of it that are rubbish. So I'm kind (laughs) of like, sure, let Henry Cavill reboot Highlander. I don't care. The sequel's rubbish. My wife loves the TV series, but I could not care less about it. Uh, The the best thing that Highlander had going for it was an amazing soundtrack by Michael Kamen and Queen, and everything else is a little bit... Yeah, I mean, that is a series where... I don't think any of the sequel. I mean, I remember this renting the second movie, and even as a kid, being like, "This is terrible." Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing when that happens when you're a kid, and you're like, "I'll watch anything," and I know this exactly. is not good. And I liked Masters of the Universe. 
So yeah, yeah. I was not dis- I, know, I was not discriminating as a kid. I, I would rent it and watch it all. But yeah, for some reason, Highlander too. I just remember being like, I don't even know what's happening. Exactly. <laughs> no, is- I was yeah yeah. Well, yeah, it's it, and like you're saying, like something like Shodan Little Tokyo, but this goes back into the conversation earlier where, you know, it's not a proven, it's it didn't do all that well. You know, it's a f- really fun movie, we, and we we had a great time when we did that one on our show. So you think of it, would, it could come out as a unique property, something fresh for people, but it doesn't have the name recognition of Lethal Weapon, like you're saying. Or Beverly Hills Cop, or mm. whatever else it is that you want to make it. I mean, I, I would think you'd have to get like either Amazon or Apple or uh, Netflix to like buy the rights or whatever to try to make a TV show. It's like if you're relying on uh, these network shows, um, if it's not NCIS or. Uh, <laughs> Navy SEAL or whatever uh, I don't think you're going to be able to, to get anything made the thing is the thing where the Lethal Weapon I think Rush Hour series kind of didn't work is they try to recreate like the characters it's like hey it's a new Riggs it's a new Murtar because no one remotely gives a shit about Showdown Little Tokyo you can just have it it's like hey it's the sons of the original characters so for people like us that remember Showdown Little Tokyo you're like oh it's a continuation. They're not ignoring it, but somehow the sons of our original characters have been partnered up. I think this is the the joy of legacy sequels where they're like, they try and weave it in so they don't piss off the original fans. <laughs> right. And it's... You gotta please everybody. You gotta please everyone and, you know, maybe you'll get some revenue out of people going back to watch the original ones. But... It's, well, um, it's kind of like what I, I've seen like in the trailer for the new Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. And it's the kids. I do... A lot of the anger from that reboot, I think, could have been easily dissuaded if they had just said they're the daughters of the original Ghostbusters. That would have been so much easier. And I think that <laughs> film would have been accepted so much more. And look, there are a lot of criticisms to be had with Paul Feig's direction. It's like... Just have a tight script. Don't let your comedians improv for five minutes at a fucking time and film it all. <laughs> and you don't need to kind of re-explore how ghosts are, you know, a, a thing. But I'm purely speculating here, but a lot of the misogynism that came out of the criticism in that film, I think, if they had just gone, it's the daughter of Venkman and Stans and right. yeah. Zedmore, or it's like a new team and they're passing the baton rather than just kind of ignoring what had gone for. I think that's what might have pissed off some of the more emotional fans. <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it. I, just, I want to put it diplomatically, because I was, I was like, some of the criticism you saw for it, you're like, calm the fuck down, people. Jesus Christ. But yeah, yeah I think that... Like somebody decided to rewrite the Bible or something. Or yeah. Like, yeah. You can see some they're definitely text. trying to assuage that with the new one, where they're like, oh no, it all ties in. This is... Egon's granddaughter, you can tell because she looks just like him. <laughs> she looks like Egon. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 I, no, I get why they do it. i to see how that one does, the new one, if it gets received well or not. It looks good fun. And, yeah, I think... And that's the thing. It just looks like fun to me. That's, so. I mean, in my 20s, I'm sure I was a right little shit, and I'm sure I could have <laughs> lectured people you know, ad nauseum about why a film didn't meet my expectations. But now, as I'm older, all I'm looking for is a good time. Just entertain me, 
You don't have to be the greatest <laughs> film in the world. But I feel with social media, everything is either it's either the greatest film of all time or it is a, an abomination unto God's law. There is no yeah. middle ground. <laughs> there is no, hey, that was a perfectly good film. I really enjoyed seeing it. Sure, I'm not going to remember it in a week, but right here and right now, I kind of liked it. And that is somehow an unacceptable opinion to have of a movie. It is funny. I mean, when you're younger, you, you know, I, I remember like in my early 20s, just, you know, hey, what do you think of this movie? And if if it was a movie I despised, it's like, yeah, I can't be your friend anymore. It's like, (laughs) but you know, the older I get, it's like, yeah, whatever. Like, Hey, I like shit movies too. And I, you know, I recognize they're not good movies, but for whatever reason, you know, I like some horrible Steven Seagal movies, you know? So what? So what? He runs like a girl. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, Look, I mean, I I will tell you now, uh, in both of my books, the, the subject of Steven Seagal comes up a lot. <laughs> and if there is one common thread throughout my books, it is that anyone who has worked with Steven Seagal thinks he's an asshole. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. We've talked about that. That will not be a surprise show. to anyone. Yeah, not at all. No. But, yeah, yeah, no, I mean... I don't know whether it, what it is when you're in your early 20s where you're like, hey, man, I've just seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I've got an opinion about films. <laughs> um, but, yeah, well, it's just kind of like these days, it's just, yeah, especially no, with yeah. everything going on in the world, the fact that people can get themselves so het up about a movie just seems like a massive waste of time. So right, And you get into all the Snyderverse stuff and all, you know, all the fandom stuff of uh, yeah. Star Wars or whatever it is. It's, yeah. it's like... Uh, I mean, they, they weren't for me. I'm, I'm sure they were for someone. I, I wish they had a Superman that smiled, but Ben Affleck was very good <laughs> as Batman, and I like Jason Momoa as Aquaman, and I like Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, and sure, the Snyder Cut's better than the Josh Whedon one, but Josh Whedon's one had Superman smiling, and that made me happy. <laughs> can't well, I think it's a, can't I we think all it's get along? DC's in an interesting kind of place now because they can, instead of being tied to trying to copy Marvel and do like, oh, we need to do a universe thing that matches theirs, they can kind of go in whatever direction they want now and be like, okay, Snyder can do his thing and then we can have another movie that doesn't have to be part of the same thing, doesn't have to feel like that. And thank really God they do take. because James Wan yeah. put Dolph Lundgren on a battle seahorse and that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was that was uh, a lot of fun for sure. Well, James, you got uh, you got any other questions you want to? No, I don't have any other questions. I guess um, so. The Born to Be Bad two just came out. So, I guess what are you working on next? I'm kind of interested what you're working on because I'm definitely going to get your books. Mm. But yeah, what are you working on? I've been helping um, Oliver Harper, who is the director of. in search of last action heroes on a new documentary that he's working on called here comes a new challenger which is all about the legacy of the street fighter franchise from okay the first you know arcade game to the comic books to awesome. on all its console variations to movie adaptations so he's just started like an indiegogo for that and i help obviously got my good friend Stephen e d'souza in for that one nice. and nice. um we also got in uh, Benny the Jet Urquidez, 
because he trained a lot of the cast for the live-action Street Fighter film. And then we also got in people like Joey Anser, who is a British um, stuntman, action star, but he did those Street Fighter Assassin Fist kind of fan films. So most people might know Joey Anser. He was in The Old Guard most recently as the bad guy's right-hand man. He's been in uh, one of the Bourne films, and he's in um, Attack the Block. Um, You'll know him if you look him up. But yeah, that's so I've been helping Ollie with that during the pandemic. Um, but really, it's just kind of, yeah, Born to be Bad is out. Part two is out yeah. now, and that, that's been my focus for the past few months. Awesome. Right on. Well, thanks so much, man, for coming on, taking the time. No, thank you yeah, for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been it's been awesome. So I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Otherwise, this is what my wife just gets all the time. It's just kind of like, hey, oh. do you want to talk about the diversity of the Fast and Furious films? And she's like, I don't know why I married you, really, to be honest, at this point. And uh, yeah, so it's great to talk to you guys about this kind of stuff. It's been good fun. Um, so where can people find you? Like, are you on Instagram, on Twitter? Yes, yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Timon Singh, T-I-M-O-N-S-I-N-G-H. I'm on Instagram, same and Facebook, you can find out more about the books at Born to Be Bad Book uh, on Facebook. And yeah, all the information should be there. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And um, yeah, maybe we'll, uh, we'll maybe might have to have you on to do a review a movie with us in the, in the future. Yeah, honestly, you can come on and do a review. Like you just pick a movie and you can come on and do a review. Oh, it'd be great. I've got to. I'm gonna have to dig deep and find something that you guys haven't already covered. So yeah, yeah, deep cut, deep cut, yeah. some real deep cut. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Guys, guys.